Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast with just Laurent Mike still on assignment in Florida. It is Monday, October 10th. In this episode, we check in on the state of Arsenal and their title credentials after their big win at the Emirates versus Liverpool and ask the question, should Liverpool have sold Mohamed Salah? Check in on the rest of the top five and four. But first, we're going to just go straight into the scores of the Premier League. So, first we had Arsenal fighting to a big 3-2 win with a little help from officials, a little help from their own play. They deservedly won it. Liverpool with two goals of their own. A really great game. Then, Newcastle 5, Brentford 1. This was the Bruno show. Brentford, they're looking a little soft. They Maybe they need Ericsson back. Bournemouth, Oh, God. They defeat Leicester. Leicester's moment of glory defeating uh, uh, Nottingham Forest last week is very short-lived. Johnny Evans sent off in that one. City and the machine, the Holland and the Hollandettes uh, win 4-0 at Southampton. There was almost a moment where it looked like Holland wouldn't score, but uh, City win 4-0. They are flying. Chelsea defeat a hapless, dire Wolves. Not dire Wolves, but dire as in terrible. Chelsea win 3-0. The Potter experience continues. Tottenham with very, very heavy hearts after the death of their trainer, uh, Gianluca. Uh, defeat Brighton 1-0. They get their goal. They sit on it. Brighton push, 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 but don't win. West Ham winning five of their last six in all comps. Defeat Fulham in a, in a London Derby. 3-1 at home. Palace defeat Leeds 2-1. They have, they're doing well. They're moving around really well. Man United on Sunday defeat Everton 2-1 after going down a goal by the very game. Uh, Mr. Iwobi, who we've praised, I uh, have more to say about this game. And today, just today, Monday, Nottingham Forest won. Aston Villa won. Ugh, Steven Gerrard is not going to enjoy that one. But Steve Cooper gets a reprise, gets a contract, and... Nottingham Forest end their five-game losing streak. But as we go into the games, the first game, of course, we have to talk about Arsenal 3, Liverpool 2. Arsenal really put their credentials down. They score in the first minute of the game. Very Man City-esque. Martinelli going through, of course, Trent Alexander-Allard's side. He gets the goal. Then after the goal, there's a little bit of a push. There's a little bit of trouble. Liverpool do have to get themselves together. Something interesting Liverpool did. They did change their formation. They didn't have three midfielders. Fabinho on the bench. It's an attacking force of just in the midfield of just Thiago and Henderson with Diaz, Jota, Sala, and Nunez all together. Klopp is saying, we've got to go back. It's like Jack in... in um. Jack and Loss going, he's got to go back. He's got to go back to 2019 Liverpool and just go hell for leather and try and go toe-to-toe with this Arsenal team. And the midfield does get a foothold in the game. Henderson and Thiago do find their find their weight, and they try and just bully Arsenal. And for most of the middle of the first half, after the Martinelli goal, there's a little bit of there's a little back back and forth early in the game. But really... You know, Martinelli gets the goal. Then the next five shots on goal are all Nunez, Van Dyke, Nunez again. Gabriel Jesus has one. Salah has one. Who's really out of the game. He really is not really playing. 
Then they do get one back in the 34th minute. Darwin Nunez on a really well-played ball that comes in from Luis Diaz, who was Luis Diaz, goes off later on. Is going to be out for eight weeks. He does set up Nunez, who does a really nice chip volley, really well-done goal as they break through the Arsenal defense. But then at the death, there's five minutes of added time. Um, Liverpool have the ball. They're doing a play in in, an outswinging corner. And Gabriel Jesus and and um and Martinelli pick this ball up and they're on the break and they're off. It's right. They they get a, a four-on-one, a three-on-one break with Gabriel, the center back, leading the charge down the wing. Um, at some point, I'm not gonna say this is a Trent Alexander Arnold problem because he's in between two spots. He does step up to the to the pass, and Saka gets put through and he finishes the goal. So uh, on a on a nice cross that he's on the he's on the back post and he scores. So really crazy moment where Arsenal's up two one at the break. They go in really strong, and the second half mostly belongs to Arsenal. Uh, granted, Firmino does come on for as I said, um, uh, Diaz does hurt his leg. He's going to be out eight weeks. He comes on. Firmino in his great form does score a goal. But the second half really belongs to Arsenal. Even though the game does get to 2-2, you always feel like Arsenal's going to pull this thing back. They're going forward. They're going for it. They're in control. They're fighting. They've got all the momentum, and and the Emirates just has so much energy and so much of what has been missing from Arsenal for years. I think any Arsenal fan would agree that this is a team that – feels inevitable they have a very if city fans have said this they have a very city vibe to them i when i watched them i spoke to my wife and you know she listens to me which is very nice of her and indulges me but i watch city so much and when i watch arsenal i see a version of city that is that has the precision turned down a little bit it's less precise but has the passion turned up a little, so it's more youthful and a bit more spicy. So it's a little bit more reliant on individual players and individual personality. It's sort of takes City's style and spaces and where they are and how they you can see the patterns of play, but adds its own spice based on the players that are on the field. So there's a bit more of a Brazilian flavor to it. There's a bit more flair. There's less precision. You know, you, you, there's no De Bruyne and there's not that sort of controlled, you know, uh, best way to, per, per, uh, best way to take it. City is very much the Pixies at their best. It's quiet, 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 fast and loud, right? So City are slow, 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 then boom, 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 boom. And they go fast and they score. Arsenal have a bit more of a, of a, of a of a of a grungy kind of more powerful youthful like a silver chair a young band just coming up and wanting to kick ass right they're not quiet at all it's all pushed forward it's all strong yet the difference is they are in control so this is a a band that's tight is learning control they never feel like they're going to get that weird yellow they never feel like they're going to lose that game do they have other controversies in this game Absolutely. There was a potential handball on Gabriel, uh, their defender early that I they believe it was Salah, but I'm not sure um, that we've seen called this season because who the fuck knows what handball is. Historically, this is not a handball, but it is a handball today. They're within two yards of each other 
and the ball kicks off his hand, we've seen them called. Uh, then late on, Arsenal get the winner on a penalty by Thiago, who studs Gabriel in the foot, but it's it's all separated. It's just a kick on the top from Thiago on the foot. You could not give it. You could give it. It's soft. It's whatever. But Saka, with all the shit Housery goes on, he of you know World World Cup. Um, uh, penalty fame and Saka does take it. He's 20 years old and he steps up and he puts the sword to Liverpool. And then at the end of the game, there's a fight and there's a little bit of fisticuffs. But the nice thing for Arsenal was they all came in together. I think Liverpool really tried to tried to bully Arsenal in the end and got frustrated and tried to push them along. And then another thing that was weird about this game was Arsenal at some point, sorry, Liverpool at some point were like, let's take this draw. There it's 2-2. They take Salah off, which was odd. <laughs> uh, I have to say, seeing Salah come on, uh, Alexander Arnold came off. There was a little bit, you know, Matip came off. There was a little bit of like, what are we doing here? What what are we trying to do? Salah came off for Fabinho. Fabinho wasn't on. And maybe that was just to try and change the shape and and bring a different a difference to the game uh, that was interesting. But it didn't seem to work, especially in the second half where, you know, Arsenal were just much better. And even though, you know, there's a controversy on a handball, there's a controversy on a penalty kick, I think even the most ardent Liverpool fan will say, we didn't deserve to win this game. Maybe they didn't deserve to lose, but they definitely didn't deserve to win. The XG does not like Liverpool in this game. It's 2.6 to uh, 0.8 on the old uh, FB ref scale. Now, remember, penalties are 0.7 in and of themselves, so they always put that always gives you a big boost onto um, the XG. But as it stands, Arsenal are 8-0-1. They've lost one game out of their nine. And while Liverpool aren't losing, they did lose this. This is only their second loss. They can't. They seem to win. They just seem to be drawing and sputtering. And they just have to find a way to get out of it. I think at this point, it's fair to say, as much as Liverpool fans don't want to admit this, and I'm happy about it, it's fair to say they are out of the title race unless something shocking happens, especially the way that City are playing. I don't think anyone expects... Arsenal to stay this good, but City are not going to lose the requisite points. At this point, Liverpool are in 10th. They're 13 points behind. Did they come back last time? Yes, but they were already playing well. And uh, um, Liverpool have more problems than I think they'd like to admit. They're way over on their XG4. They're a little bit on their XG against. uh, But that XG4 was more all that, that Bournemouth game where everything they shot went in. Uh, is really where they're getting all those points on on XG uh, for or against. But, you know, Liverpool are just going through one of those seasons. We saw this happen with second season, second stint Mourinho, where, you know, Chelsea finished 10th. Uh, sometimes it's injuries. You know, our, Liverpool just went through this in the, in the first bubble season, second bubble season, when Van Dijk and their whole defense went down and they had to fight like hell to get into the top four, and they did. They won their last six to get in. But you can have these bad seasons, but I think Liverpool are suffering from several things at once. Um, it's not one thing. It's Van Dyke in decline or off his game. It's 
pressing being off energy. They just don't have the steam. It's three or four transfer windows in the midfield with none of those guys really replacing anyone. The only midfielder who's really stepped into the gaps there was Thiago, and he's he's an 80% guy. He can only play 80% of the, 70% of the games. Fabinho's played a ton of games. They played 60 games last season. The Keita thing never coming through. The Oxlade-Chamberlain thing never coming through. Harvey Elliott having a shot, but then ultimately slowing down. And really nothing really refreshing in the squad. I think the Nunez thing was meant to refresh things. And then I think Mane... Mane meant more than we think. I think he had a level of athleticism that made a difference. I think, you know, Diaz put a spark in the team in the second half of the season that he couldn't be expected to sustain. I think that really kicked Liverpool on where they thought, oh, we can't catch City, but Diaz gave Liverpool something that they weren't expecting. But now he's just part of the team now, and he's not kicking on. They've gotten great stuff from Firmino, who had kind of been slipping down the order. You know, they've tried to use Carvalho. He's only 20 years old. Can he try and give them things? Konate's not back yet. So it's a lot of things conspiring, a little bit of lethargy, a little bit of they run at 110% to win these games. And when they're at 95%, things start to slip and they're slipping and they're getting exposed and their spaces are wrong. I think, you know, one of the things I have noticed, and as I'm learning more and more about watching football more and more regularly, more and more regularly, is when they do say those things like they're a yard short, it really makes a difference. And you can see it. I think if anyone was honest, just watch Liverpool or go back and watch a goal or maybe the three, the minute before that goal, watch them try and close down people in the midfield and you'll notice that half yard is missing that 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 Henderson especially would get to or Thiago was never there or or Fabinho's not there or when the ball turns over they're much deeper they're not as high up anymore so everything becomes harder to get to uh Salah has to move farther out wide to try and get the ball to create things he's now making crosses into Diaz he's not in the box anymore where he can use his dribbling to think he's got to go an extra five yards just to get into a place to shoot so everything is disjointed and nothing's working properly for Arsenal this is just another notch another step forward in their credentials it has very much a feel of Leicester when we kind of were now not the same way I mean Arsenal's side is much better, but every hurdle that came was, oh, Leicester have to clear this hurdle, have to clear this hurdle, have to clear this hurdle. With Arsenal, they're clearing the hurdles as they go. Um, The next hurdle they have to climb is City. They've got to play us. They've got to play Manchester City eventually. And I think everyone agrees that City are the best team in the league, but there's still a point behind them. That's not insignificant um xg likes city better than arsenal significantly there's a five goal difference there versus the 10 goal difference in regular goals against uh city have the best defense in the league along with um with chelsea uh arsenal's is okay the xg per game is one seven one uh, xg difference is one goal one and three quarters goals for city one just above one for um, for Arsenal, so the underlying numbers like City better. Obviously, City's better. That's just a fact. 
but Arsenal will challenge. They are there. And like Guardiola likes to say, all you want to be is be there. And right now, Arsenal are there. They've got the youth. I think I talked about it two seasons ago, a season ago. This team is young. And I kept bringing it up. They're even younger now. Now their average age is 24 and a half. And, everyone, and their opponents is 27. So they have the room to grow. The Everything about them is young. There's youth. There's fearlessness. There's They can go again. The, the, the whole idea of like Thursday, Sunday shouldn't really affect them. Now, mentally, they've got to stay together. I think we have shortchanged Arteta. He's done an amazing job. And the players they added have been nothing short of fantastic. I think I don't think City fans... We liked Gabriel Jesus, but he wasn't allowed to play the way he's playing for Arsenal with City. Pep just doesn't allow that stuff with uh, strikers. So we like what we're seeing. So many good players. I'd be remiss to talk about Martinelli, who just attacked relentlessly against Trent Alexander-Arnold. That's fine. I'm not going to single out Trent. You defend as a team, and he wasn't able to impose anything. And then he went off with an ankle. I don't even know if he was injured. He just kind of left. So we go on. Uh, we go to the next game of the day. Our, our group go into City versus Southampton. Not really much to stay here. I think, you know, we... City lack a narrative. Right now that narrative is Holland. And it's the same team. No drama, Pep. Uh, it's not even... now. Now we've moved away from the Pep leadership into the Holland leadership. We're just checking on where is Holland, where is Holland, where is Holland. Uh, we're starting to get into the moments of, hey, let's talk about Phil Foden. <laughs> Phil Foden had two goals in this game, both really good. His finishing is in fantastic form. If he gets to like a, he might have a 10 and 10 season or a 10 and a 15 and 10 season, 15 goals, 10 assists. He's really stepping into that Sterling space, but he was always a much better finisher than Sterling ever was. So we're seeing that. Coming from City now, uh, really easy game, easy results. Nothing for City to really have to worry about, frankly. It was just about getting to halftime with the goals, without anyone injured. And ultimately, City were able to bring all their boys off in the first half. So De Bruyne comes off. Everyone comes off uh, pretty early. The XG, love City. Southampton got nothing. Uh, Hassan Hudel did not get fired, which is nice, but City scored their goals early. One from Cancelo, that was a run down the wing, incredible. Another one for Foden from De Bruyne. Then Mares got one, and then Holland got his late in the second half, and he was super excited. And then, of course, the checking line comes in on seventy. City make five changes. On comes Alvarez, Gomez, and Palmer, and you know City just romp. This is as easy a game as City's going to have. This is how they're going to be against the bottom sides. I think the difference in this title race will be City aren't going to drop points against bad teams. Granted, they did do, drop, have that draw against Aston Villa. That was weird. I don't know how the fuck that happened. It feels weirder now uh, than it did a week ago. But for Arsenal, teams will they will have a problem versus Wolves. They will have a problem versus Chelsea. They, you know, they're not going to, it's not going to be easy. They're going to run into issues. So far, Arsenal have had a pretty good run, but City are just at another level. And the power of Holland and his chillness is giving an umbrella for all of City's other players to shine. So Grealish has started to play better. Foden is incredible again. He's playing more. 
under underrated Bernardo Silva playing deeper in a much more industrious sort of let me get the ball off you, Bernardo Silva ticking things over kind of way. And then, of course, Rodri comes in. And all these great players that City have just kind of make things, you know, there's no drama, nothing. City just are a robotic machine of doom and destruction. <laughs> uh, it's hard It's hard to make a story out of City. It really is. They just are this looming foil for all these narratives of other teams to become. So it will be plucky Arsenal, the Rebels, against the Death Star. It will be plucky Liverpool and their justice for the 96 and never winning the title versus City. City are just a money-making, destructive force of beautiful football. And until Guardiola leaves, I don't think it's going to change. I think Holland has changed the math for City where there's just such a bigger room for error that can't really lose. We're not going to have those draws for Southampton that we had last season we, where we had two of them. They took four points off off City. I don't think that's happening again, especially this season. That was a big, uh, you know, oh, we don't need a striker. Oh, yeah. Oh, we don't need a striker, but now we have one. And that eight, those 85 goal seasons with 25 goals against is now going to become 105 with 25 goals against. We're just not going to give up shit. It's just going to be a romp for City to annihilate the universe. So that's kind of sad. Now we go to the other side of Manchester uh, and check in on United. Um, United came out after having beat, been beaten pretty badly by City. Um, and they have a good game. I watched a lot of this. I thought the first half was poor by United. But they did get it going after they scored their first goal. So early in the game, um, Everton had a goal that was really good. They scored the first goal and were really on top of United. Everything seemed, the first 10 minutes were really about Everton being good uh, and really taking it to uh, United. And things were a little bit tricky. And I think they got their goal and kind of, and kind of sat off. And I don't understand it. And by the time, and then United just kept going and going and going. Anthony got another goal from Martial, a really nice goal. And they just sort of turned it on, turned it on. And then um, Martial went off early in the first half, hurt again, really sad for him. He did get an assist in this game. But then um, Cristiano comes on, you know, the heroic Cristiano arrival on the break, scores a goal. You know, uh, Casemiro did come in on this game. He was culpable for the first goal. He was caught on the ball. I think he was just trying to, like, get up to speed and got caught. But I really felt like Everton could have played better. Um, they really sat off. I thought the weak link for Everton was Adrisa Ganagay. He had been great. He's back at the club after being at PSG, but he seemed to just have a mistake in him. He couldn't seem to pass the ball at all. I wonder if Onana will move down into the Adrisa Gay area and play a little bit deeper. Maybe they can play a two and change it up because if Gay's going to be making mistakes like that, it's going to be a problem. I thought the pace got to Tarkovsky and Cody. They weren't great in defense this game, and especially on Seamus Coleman's side. But you know, ultimately, United played well. They got better and better as the game went along, and I think it was more... Um, 
Casemiro got better and better as the game went along. And then in the last 10 minutes, Everton just went long. And it was a lot of defending. It was really tough. The back, the last half hour of the game was all Everton. And especially the last 10 minutes, they just had shot after shot after shot blocks. And James Garner had a shot. And Calvert-Lewin and Iwobi and Tarkovsky, everyone, last five minutes, it was nuts. It was like five shots in the final five minutes, especially off the cross. But... But but United held firm, so they can feel good about this win. This is a good win for them. Um, they didn't. They played some good stuff. They're not really quite ready to play the way Ten Hag wants to play, but they're getting better as they go. And the more they can play uh, Casemiro with Eriksson and 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 um, and Fernandez, the better. Uh, it looks like. Ronaldo will have to come back in the side, or maybe they'll mix it up and bring back in, uh, bring back, in, put put Rashford back at the nine and bring back in Sancho. I don't know how that's going to work. Maybe they're going to mix and match. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they want to do it. But it was nice to see Ronaldo get his 700th goal in, in his club career. 700 goals. 700 goals. That's like Hank Aaron, right? That's Babe Ruth. Like. 700 goals is there's no one close it's it's an absurd number that you can't even think about uh most strikers barely last five years and uh here we have cristiano on 700 goals averaging you know 43 goals a season over 20 years it's a ridiculous number uh 30 i guess it's 35 a season for 20 years which is just a crazy number you know started at 17 you look at his goal tally it's just it's just a ridiculous and when they say when they say club career, it's um, all competition. So if you're on FB Ref and you want to look at all 700, you've got a. They still don't have the 700. I don't know where the hell they get this number from. Anyway, he's apparently got 700 goals. I don't know where they get the number from. It's not listed in FB Ref, but an FB Ref at 650. But maybe they're counting exhibition games. Maybe they're counting uh, this or that or whatever the hell it is. There's a, this is the problem with football. They have the, these crazy seasons. So the thing that Cristiano has is he's got one, two, three, three seasons with over 50, 50 goals in a year. You know, he really caught up once he got to his last three seasons at United, it was over 20, 30 goals a year. And then once he goes to Real, he's 46, 56, 46, 48, 61, 51. 38, 42, 28, 37, 36. Even at Juve, he's in the high 30s. But these last couple of years at at uh, at United, he only had 24 last year. They had no extra games. So it's all these games that he played, especially when he was in La Liga, where it was a bit more high scoring, a bit weaker opponents. He was known for running up scores just to score goals and win that Pachichi because he and Messi, they pushed each other. It was Yankees-Red Sox. They're literally the embodiment of that same, what did the other guy do? Maguire Sosa, but for 20 years, they kind of just pushed each other. So shouts to Ronaldo. I've become to respect him more. I'm a messy guy, but I have a lot more respect for Ronaldo than I ever did when he was at Real. I thought he was just a pretty boy uh, goon, but I do have a bit more understanding and respect for him now uh, that I've watched him and kind of understand how hard it is to be that good for that long. I mean, if we want to go back, if we think about Salah, Salah was so good. He has one bad season where he loses the African Cup of Nations, doesn't make the World Cup, and he's essentially collapsed. And then you think about the mentality of Ronaldo where it's nonstop, 
I'm scoring, I'm scoring, I'm scoring. Give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. When he came on, he changed United through his force of will. Now, I do think it's tricky for him for United's sake. It's He probably can't play every game. It's kind of nice when he has games off and can come on and really come with energy because I think he tries to conserve energy. Maybe if if Ten Hag can get a hold of him and be like, hey, this is when you're going to play. This is when I need you. This is the game I need for you. You're going to have a few days off so that he can come on and have good energy instead of trying to be conserve. Maybe he can play off that. That was something that Alex Ferguson was really good about talking to um, Ryan Giggs and Scholes and Neville and his players that he had had for a long time. He would work in those older players to play only the games he needed them to in the right moments and really get the best out of them by saying, I don't need you today, but I need you next week so that the player was ready for that game and ready to go for that game. So maybe that's something Ten Hag can do with, with Ronaldo so that he can get the best out of him because he really came on and showed really good energy and actually lifted United and they started playing faster. The, the argument I had while I was watching that game was that they were playing really slow and it was really predictable and you could see they were trying to get the ball know that Ten Hag had said that guy was going to be there and then move the ball to them. So much different once once Cristiano came on, they started to feel like they could play. I'm disappointed in Everton. I feel like you're at home. Don't sit back so much. You can play. Go do it. But maybe the weak link in, in Idrissa Gay was a problem. I'm not sure. Maybe they don't. They need another Iwobi to kind of move the team forward in a different way. So that's a half hour on those four teams. Uh, that I just chatted about. Uh, but I do want to bring some time into Wolves versus Chelsea before we get into Everton. Um, I thought Chelsea were good. They're definitely a bit more forward-looking now. Um, Potter's doing his Potter things where they change five systems within the same play. You can't even figure out what the fuck they're doing half the time. But he's seeing different players. He's trying to get a feel for people. We're seeing more Gallagher. So Gallagher was rewarded for his decent play and, and that game-winning goal versus Palace. But the lineups are, you know, you know, we've got Mount and Connor Gallagher and Pulisic along with Havertz as a front four um, with um, Jorginho and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. So he's working in players. The back line was Cucurella was back in. Kulabali, Chalaba as a back four. They went away from the back three, back to Aspilicueta. So they're just changing, chopping and changing and seeing the right thing. I think that's probably the right thing to do. I don't, when I watch Tiago in the middle of that three, I worry for him. I don't think he has great pace <laughs> and he can be got at athletically. So I think I like seeing Chalaba and Cucurella in there with the two old heads of, of Aspilicueta and Kulabali, But this is not really a game to show to test um to test Chelsea because wolves are terrible they can't score they don't do anything <laughs> they can't really get anything the big story in this game was was Diego Costa played and the Chelsea fans gave him a big standing ovation that was really cool but really this was all this was all Chelsea this was, the first half was a little bit rough on Pulisic he had a bunch of shots. He couldn't score any, uh, couldn't really get anything going. And then they got on a nice header from Mason Mount and Loftus-Cheek. Uh, good work by Mason Mount on the wing 
to get the, the, the cross off and a looping header from Havertz. And then second half, a nice goal from, from uh, Pulisic. And then the 90th minute, Brojak comes on, gets his first goal, which is really nice. So Potter can start to keep working every game he wins. It's time, right? He's trying to buy himself time to get his message across. Chelsea have a good team. There's no reason they can't be right there. Uh, but I think there's good signs from Chelsea. They're not perfect yet. There was no no Sterling in this game, so that's something to keep a note of. Maybe you know he sort of noticed Sterling plays a lot. Maybe they're just trying to work things in. We'll see if if Sterling can handle that. No Aubameyang, so you know they, they'll probably play in a Champions League game that's coming on Tuesday. So it's managing the squad, making sure the fitness levels are high, making sure that when they play, they do have good energy. So I think you know. Potter identified this Wolves game as the weaker of the two opponents because they've got to have the AC Milan game that we'll talk about in terms of the fixtures that are coming up in the Champions League. So good stuff from Potter and Chelsea. They're in decent shape. They've got a good squad. Potter's a good manager. I believe in him. He's going to get them there. I think, you know, as much as I am not a fan of uh, Chelsea, I am a fan of Potter. So I look at that team uh, with good look, with a good eye and a, and a hopeful uh, thought around where they can go and where they can get to. And ultimately, I'm a, I'm an English football fan. I'm a, I'm a league fan. So I'm here for the stories. I think um, if I think about it and talk about it out loud, it's getting tougher and tougher to just be a City fan as I watch the game more and more and more and fall in love with this player and like that player. And Connor Gallagher was my favorite at at Crystal Palace, but now he's at Chelsea. And do I turn my back on him? And do I think about this player? And do I want this move for that player? And, uh, you know, I do ultimately the feelings come when you're watching your team. But when I sit back and do the show, I can get a bit more philosophical and think about where everyone is. Um, do want to give some time to Newcastle because there are new overlords and new friends that are starting to do really, really well. I think this game, uh, they played and before I talk about Spurs, their game against Brentford, our beloved Brentford, was easy. They um, they put a hurt on them. Uh, there was a little bit of an offside controversy for a goal for Brentford, but uh, you know he interfered with play on Tony that Mbuemo scored. Sucks because Mbuemo never scores anything, and here we have Mbuemo uh, scoring a goal uh, <laughs> that um, they weren't able to to get a hold of. But it's Gumarish. Murphy, Gumarish again, Almiron again, and then an own goal uh, against Pennock, even though they Brentford did get one on a penalty. So, you know, Eddie Howe's got this team grooved. Gumarish, Longstaff, Willock, they're playing with a front three. Murphy, weirdly, Callum Wilson, Almiron, the back four is pretty tight. Dan Byrne on the other side, Botman, Shar, Trippier. They've got these ball players. They've got everything they need, and I think, you know, Aside from the last season at Bournemouth, I mean, Eddie Howe was a good coach. And so he's got a good squad. He's got a real talisman player in um, in Gumarish. We know what we changed with, with Joe Linton. And then they have, you know, outside of Anfield, one of the best crowds in the league. Uh, I was listening to a podcast earlier, and they had a, um, a Brazilian, um, Natalie Gedrich, She's a Brazilian host on ESPN Brazil, and she had an anecdote about talking to Bruno Gamarish. And what they said was he was surprised by the love that the Newcastle fans gave him. And he's just loving it because they're just, he came and they've just loved him the second he got there. 
And so he's loving the fans, and it's showing on the field. He's been their best player since he got there. He was at Lyon. Lyon's struggling since he left. Uh, I like that uh, Sean Longstaff still plays, even though he's you know, that classic shit English player that you kind of have to play when you're a team like um, when you're a team like uh, like uh, like Newcastle. So this team still has a lot of English players. Target got back on the pitch, which is good. So they'll get their cheer, their their Trippier target uh, fullbacks back in. You know, Dan Byrne is still in there. St. Maximin got 13 minutes, came on for Gamarish. So Newcastle starting to move, but five goals. They've now moved up into the table. You know, they're right there. They're right in that next group. They're now in sixth behind United on 14, and we'll go through the table uh, after we finish this. Brighton, of course, starts to drop down, and we'll, we'll cover that in a minute. And then lastly, let's talk about our other friends. Tottenham get a very Conte performance. It was all with a heavy heart. They lost their um, their trainer, uh, Giampero, uh, had been with Conte many times, had been with the Italian national team. He had been battling leukemia and died this week in um, in Naples. Uh, and it you know it it seemed to permeate through the team. Um, they got their goal, but they worked hard. And Conte was crying on the field and before the game, and and um, and Harry Kane was crying after the game. So. Spurs just get this game done. They move on. And, you know, they're still not playing great according to how all the big teams play. But they are playing great based on how Conte wants them to play. You know, they win this game on a on a 0.7 XG versus 0.6. This is like nothing's going on. And they get the win and they feel good about it. To be fair, Danny Welbeck had multiple chances along with along with um, Solly March. And Danny Welbeck did his Danny Welbeck thing. Got into good spots, got chances, shot the ball wide. The guy is the same. At least he's consistent. Uh, he never shoots on target. You can be sure that Danny Welbeck will get into a good spot and miss. You can almost let him because the more uh, the more time he has, the worse he is. Kane got his goal. Nice and easy. No problem. Set up by, um, of course, his friend, Sin Ming Hung uh, by Sonny. It was a shot slash cross that Kane ducked and sort of tipped in for Sun. But most of the action comes from Brighton. Um, you know, Tottenham gets their goal and they sit off and they just let Brighton do their thing. They're happy to defend. They're happy to block shots. They're happy to play without the ball. This is just what Spurs do. If, if Just to give you a sense... Caicedo and McAllister both had over 120 touches and no one on Spurs had a, even 100. And that was uh, Hoiberg who had 91. So they just let them have the ball, let them do their thing and just never really cared about having the ball. It is different from how the big teams all ahead of them play, how United are trying to play. Um, they are just a coiled spring wanting to defend. This one is a little different because we finally saw the midfield three that Mike and I have been talking about. So um, uh, Yves Basuma came in, but one of the strikers came out. So there was no Richarlison and no Kuliszewski, just Son and Kane up top together. You know, that 5-3-2, that was how they played. Sorry, 5-3-5-2, um, and that's just how they played. Basuma didn't really contribute much. This was not a game to go, oh, this is where Spurs are. Spurs got the win and just went home. Uh, really cool stuff from the Spurs away support. 
Really cool stuff from Hugo Herleris. These are these moments that, as Americans, we don't have as much of. We don't get these kind of spontaneous support things or clapping in a certain minute or singing a player's name. Um, you know, you get it at the end of Paul O'Neill's career once in 20, in 15 years. You get it, you know, if a player dies and they all wear the same hat. And it kind of always feels a little bit manufactured, whereas football fan connection to players and club is it's just next level. Uh, and this was one of those moments where Conte, the fans, and Spurs were all united. Even if it wasn't in the performance, it was in the heart. Uh, if there's that 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 fourth estate of fan pushing them along, um, um, Brighton also have their own sad news. Not a death, thank God, but um, uh, in Wepu, 24 year old Zambian midfielder who had been playing regularly for them, announces his retirement at 24. Uh, he's got a congenitive heart failure uh, issue, and they were testing it. Uh, he found out about it on international duty. He felt ill. Then they took him back to Brighton and did every test they possibly could. And he's put a couple of social media statements out that his career is over at 24. Really sad, but good in the greater scheme of his life that he didn't die on the pitch like Vivian Foe, who passed away on the pitch. It has happened. Aguero had the heart problem. You know, we've talked about, uh, is it COVID vaccine? No, this was something else. So sadly, uh, we lose Mwepu, who is a player who is on the come up. Uh, he was making a pretty good partnership with um, Caicedo, being part of that midfield rotation with with Caicedo and McAllister and Danny and, and the rest of and Trossard in that midfield attacking area. But uh, he goes, and uh, we'll see where Deserbi finds that space. That's just a player just vanished. It's more than an injury. It's uh, He's not even in the future. They may have to go into the market and find someone else to do. You just lose that value. Uh, but the player's fine. He's going to do great. Nothing's going to happen to him. We need to talk about the rest of the scores and where we are in the table. Next up, we have our score table, and that leaves us with uh, Leicester, Bournemouth, and Brighton. Uh, Bournemouth. Five wins on the spin. No losses since the 9-0. Gary O'Neill is going to get this job. They do announce their takeover, so they have been bought by an American owner. And just to give you a sense of context of how much these Premier League teams cost, this is a team in the Premier League. It's $125 million. To give you context, if um, the Phoenix Suns and the NBA are sold, they will be sold for $4 billion. So it gives you a sense of, what the stability of the franchise model is ver for a big league versus the um, versus the volatility of the leagues that have um, promotion and relegation. Bournemouth in the Premier League, one hundred twenty-five million dollars, hundred yeah, one hundred twenty-five million pounds, and uh, something that's doable. I mean, you know, Wrexham they they owned by somebody. By the way, Wrexham this week they won seven five which is insane. Uh, that never happens. That's one of the highest scoring goal uh, games ever. Um, so for for um, for this Leicester game, Daka gets a goal early. You know, you feel like Leicester can see this game out. Maybe they've got everything to going. But Billing scores a worldie, then Christie, and the defensive problems that, um, that's, that Leicester have just show up again, and they just lose this game. They're not ready for prime time. Uh, I thought Ward... 
their goalkeeper. They've, the quicker they replace him, the better. There was a shot that went right through him. Danny Ward is not a Premier League goalkeeper. And the longer that Spur, that that Leicester keep Danny Ward as their goalkeeper, the longer they'll stay at the bottom of the table. They have to release him. They have to get a goalkeeper. And if Brendan Rodgers doesn't know that, then I don't know what's wrong with him. There's better keepers out there right now. So hopefully they find him. Uh, Leicester still very, very poor. Uh, we move on. Um, other games within the, the, the lower echelons of our world. <laughs> lower echelons. I hate to give short shrift to the beloved uh, West Ham, but, but, but West Ham have a great result against Fulham. Fulham were down there, guys. They didn't have their best players available. Uh, so they go on the road to the London Stadium. Don't get the win. You know, there's no no Mitrovic in this game. Paulinho does come back, but they're playing Carlos Vinicius up front of Spurs fame. Uh, Daniel James, you know, not, not the best group of players. They do have their stronger defensive unit, but uh, we do get a nice... Jared Bowen penalty, Skamaka on an incredible chip that looked great. And then Antonio seals it uh, late on 90, 91 plus, just bulldozes, takes a shot, misses it, gets the rebound in. Classic, classic Antonio goal. No class, no thing, just desire and bull in a china shop. So there was worry for Moyes, but he seems to be getting West Ham back on track. This was a big result for them, 3.3 XG to just half a goal for Fulham. Fulham were flying. They're now not flying. They've got to get themselves back together. They did get a goal from Pereira. They were up in this game, but just couldn't hold on to it as as West Ham methodically do the things they need to do to keep themselves moving up the table and off the bottom because they should never really be at the bottom of the table. Uh, we continue through 1-1, the Monday night game. We just had Aston Villa play... Um, play Nottingham Forest. The sooner that Steven Gerrard stops playing Philip Coutinho, the better. Uh, I don't think he's the answer. Villa, this is a game Villa's got to feel like they can win. Forest were falling apart. Though Steve Cooper did get a deal signed. He's now got a, an extension. He was looking to be the next manager to be fired, but he's now pulled himself off that list and is now on the safety list. So that'll be interesting to see if Cooper can get his 23 new players. We saw our friends uh, uh, from Spurs show up in this game. I can't remember his name. To, not Tanganga, the other guy. Not to follow Serge Aurier, excuse me. Serge Aurier made an appearance in this game. So, you know, uh, Nottingham Forest keep making changes, trying to figure out what their best group is. Um, you know, Gibbs White is there. Emmanuel Dennis showed up, a friend from uh, from from Watford who scored lots of goals early from came in. So lots of players, they're still working their way through. They're trying to figure out when does Lingard play? We had Willie Bolly on the bench. We have, there's a good goalkeeper, Wayne Hennessy. Wouldn't freaking uh, Lester love to have Wayne Hennessy right now. Awoni is not in. So we're trying to find the right thing. And I think Steven Gerrard's still trying to find the right combination for Aston Villa. He can't seem to defend and score goals. He can only do one or the other. I think the sooner he figures out that he needs to just play without Coutinho and Buendia, he can only play one of them, the better. Um, and we'll see where he gets to. I'm not sure if he's that good of a coach. He's still sputtering along. Uh, Aston Villa should be better. There's good coaches out there. 
I don't see why Thomas Tuchel couldn't take the Aston Villa job. Why not? The team's owners are very, very rich. So we will see where Aston Villa goes. If I'm Aston Villa, I would try and get... I think Aston Villa are a big club. They're a secretly big club that Tuchel would kick ass on very easily. Um, and then the last game that I didn't chat about was Leeds uh, versus Palace. You know, not much for Leeds to write home about. Edward and Eze, they really they played that attacking group again for... Um, for Crystal Palace that when they play Eze and Elise in the midfield along with Edward and Zaha and Ayu, he's just putting those high five up front with the four and then the one in defense. And, you know, Leeds just aren't up for it yet. They're just not there. Um, they're getting there. They need to get Bamford firing. It was a, a scrappy match that, um, that um, Palace got to win. Leeds had the goal early, but, you know, Palace at home is a tough nut to crack. And they move on. Let's go to the table, see where we are before we check out for the day. Where am I on time? 48, and then we'll go to the Champions League scores. Arsenal are top, followed by City, one point behind. Three points behind City is Tottenham on 20. Then four points behind Tottenham is Chelsea on 16. Then we have a bunching. United on 15, Newcastle and Brighton both on 14 in 7th. Then Bournemouth on 12 and 8th, followed by Fulham, Liverpool and Brentford. Liverpool, Brentford, Everton, and West Ham all tied on 10 points. Liverpool have a game in hand and have the plus 8 goal difference. The teams around them have a a minus 1, minus 2 goal difference. So all of that is coming from the the Bournemouth game to just give you a sense of the company that, uh, that Liverpool are in. Have they not had that? win against Bournemouth, the 9-0, they really would be in a funky spot. They're really more on par. Their underlying numbers are closer to West Ham and Brentford than, than say, Tottenham, <laughs> if we really want to. Actually, no, Tottenham are close as well. Anyway, uh, Everton stay where they are. Everyone's on 10. Then Leeds, Crystal Palace, and Aston Villa are all on 9. So it's pretty bunched up from 11. Sorry, from 11, from... It's still bunched up. It's early in the season. From nine, from nine down to sixteen is only two points difference. So we're really getting a sense of like the the table is not really telling us anything. In seventeenth, we then have have Villa on seven, then Wolves on six. So the bottom three are Wolves, Nottingham Forest, and Leicester. Uh, I still think Leicester will get out of this. I'm not sure about Wolves and Nottingham Forest. We, we do question whether Southampton will be in there. I think it'll be out of these four. So between Southampton, Wolves, Nottingham Forest, Leicester. I don't think it'll be Leicester. I think another team, might, maybe Leeds will come down into this group. But uh, we'll see. If I sort by XG, in terms of underlying numbers, the bottom three are Forest, Fulham, Bournemouth. But we know Bournemouth have that 9-0 that really is what gives them the damage. So... Uh, we'll see what happens there, um, and let's let's just give a quick quick look at the Champions League because there's games tomorrow. What? Uh, and I know a lot of a lot of people make a whole another podcast for the Champions League, but let's sort of quickly do the schedule for tomorrow's games in the Champions League. Uh, of note, City play Copenhagen again away at Copenhagen. City win this game; they can walk to the last two games. This is their fourth game, or so. City just beat this team 5-0. This should be cake. Uh, 
PSG just played Benfica, but they really need to win. They're at home. They want to put the hammer down on this one. Dortmund looking good against Sevilla. Milan-Chelsea is the big one. Chelsea have to go to the San Siro and really get something. I think that's why they rested Raheem Sterling and Thiago to give them a little bit more energy to try and take on Milan, who are wounded right now and think they can get a shot at them. Napoli, we know, are flying high. They played Ajax and just beat them 6-1. Atleti have Club Brugge. At home, they need to win that one. Liverpool play Rangers in uh, the Ibrox. That should be fun to just watch the first 30 seconds. If Liverpool lose this game, I don't know what the hell that means because they're in bad shape. And then Barca, Inter. Barcelona must beat Inter. It is a must, must win. And then Spurs on Wednesday play Eintracht Frankfurt. They drew nil-nil. You'd hope Spurs can get the win so they can solidify their group. Uh, the standings look like this. Napoli flying high with Liverpool on 9 and 6, respectively, top of their group. Club Brugge, free and clear, waiting for someone between Porto, Leverkusen, and, and Atletico to pull in. Bayern and Inter lead their group, but Inter and Barcelona play each other. Barcelona have got to defeat Inter in Group C. Uh, Spurs, Sporting, Eintracht Frankfurt, Marseille, all very close. So Spurs really need to win to get to the top of this group. This is Game 4. Salzburg, Chelsea. Chelsea are in a decent, decent shot, but they really want to beat Milan here so they can move up after the draws against Salzburg and um, and Milan. They really want to kick on and get that going. Uh, Real Madrid, no problem. They're gone. City are gone. They just need the win to put this this whole group to bed. Uh, they they probably don't want to worry about Dortmund too much. They're probably free and clear. And then PSV, PSG and Benfica are through. Juve are the ones who are really in trouble here. And I think if if Juve lose or, or only draw in this game, they're destined for the Europa League. So that is our UEFA Champions League. Just for the sake of repeating our English teams, we have Tottenham playing Eintracht Frankfurt, they need a win there. Liverpool play Rangers. They're probably okay and should probably beat Rangers. Rangers were probably the weakest group, weakest team in the in the competition. And City play Copenhagen. Um, that should be cake. And then games of note, again, Ajax-Napoli, that's a rematch of a tough game. PSG-Venfica determines who wins the group. Barca have got to beat Inter. And then um, I believe the other one was Chelsea versus Milan. Chelsea really need that Milan game. Okay, I'm going to end the show. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Mike Salerno and Laurent Cortines, who's still on assignment. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Network. We record on Tuesdays and Fridays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a show. Thank you to the Chop Sports Network. Thank you to FanHub. Please, please, please share, like, and subscribe to the show. It means everything. And a shout out to everyone who supports the show. I love you. Thank you.